welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Welcome back, everyone. This is the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris. Uh, you'll notice, uh, especially if you're watching this on the video, that uh, that Joe Boot is conspicuously absent this week. But stay tuned. I've got. Uh, I'm very pleased to to welcome back John Cooper to the show. And uh, John, uh, many of you know, is the uh, lead singer, the bassist of the rock band Skillet, uh, author of the best-selling book Awake and Alive to Truth host of the Cooper Stuff podcast. And uh, John, you've been, uh, you've been on the show a couple of times. Uh, when we're going to talk about a new project that, uh, that you've been involved with that is, uh, that's launching in uh, just a few short weeks. Before we uh, get to, get to uh, your new book, sorry, spoilers, uh, it's a new book. Uh, before we get to your new book, uh, just a couple of quick Ezra housekeeping announcements. Specifically, we've got uh, three Mission of God conferences coming up uh, this, uh, this fall and winter. Uh, November 4th, again, just a couple of weeks away, in the UK, in the city of Daventry, Joe Boot, uh, Tim Dieppe, Graham Leach, Aaron Edwards, and Andrea Williams are going to be speaking at the Courage and Conviction in an Age of Compromise conference. Or at least that's that's the theme of the conference. the uh, The conference is the Mission of God, co-hosted by the Ezra Institute and the uh, the Christian and and Christian Concern. That was a bit of a mouthful. I'll go back and edit that later. I don't know. Uh, the uh, The second thing is two Canadian uh, Mission of God conferences. December 2nd in Windsor, Ontario, and then the next weekend, December 9th in Calgary, Alberta. The theme of both of those events is redeeming sexuality. And uh, Joe Boot, uh, Tim Stevens, uh, Ted Fenske, Aaron Rock, several of our our good friends and fellows are going to be there talking on various themes related to this uh, very sort of timely and significant theme uh, and subject of sexuality. So you're not going to want to miss those. All the details are available at EzraInstitute.com. Uh, check it out. You can get tickets through there and find uh, find more information. So with, uh, with that said, uh, as I mentioned already, it's my privilege to welcome back John Cooper. It's so good to see you again. Hey, Ryan, how you doing, man? Good to chat with you too. Yeah, very well. Thanks, uh, thanks for being with us. So, John, uh, like I uh, like I mentioned uh, in the intro, there you've got uh, you've got a new book coming out, and this uh, this is called Wimpy, Weak, and Woke. And in this book, if the uh, if the press releases are accurate, you're seeking to uncover the philosophies behind utopian dreams that become dystopian nightmares and not to not just stop there by uh, exposing those but prevent presenting a positive vision for how uh, in this context we can thrive we can flourish we can uh, push back against the darkness uh, is that a uh, is that a fair 
couple sentence summary of, uh, of this book. <laughs> it is fair. <laughs> it's very fair. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I giggle every time somebody says the name wimpy, weak and woke. It, it it's just makes me laugh every time. But I mean, is there a better way to describe the culture? In, in fact, is there a better way to, to describe the American church right now? I mean, it's really, really sad. <clears throat> and the subtitle of the book is How Truth Can Save America from Utopian Destruction. And of course, it's not just America. I mean, it's the Western world. So yeah, yeah that's, that's the tragedy, isn't it? Is that Western world is built on Christianity, provided the most the largest amount of freedom, liberty, prosperity the world's ever seen in human civilization. And now it's imploding from within based on our own values. <laughs> We're exploding the whole thing for a revolution against the very worldview that gave us what we have. And so kind of the idea when I started writing, I was like, all right, what what is it that describes just all the things that normal people see, like you don't have to be a genius. All you gotta do is have have your eyes open a little bit. Maybe you're a parent, you know. Maybe your kids came home from school with a gender unicorn, you know, and 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 a pamphlet explaining their 32 genders. And maybe your your kid, maybe he's a boy, maybe he's a girl, maybe he's both, maybe he's neither. Maybe he's he's gonna be fluid, and and maybe he's a he's two spirit whatever it may be. And you're like, what in the world is going on? You've got the gender stuff. You've got uh, drag queen story hour. You got drag queens coming into schools teaching this stuff. But not only that, you've even got sex education, fourth, fifth grade. Some, some of the most depraved stuff I've ever heard. Well, all of our kids are being taught. So you have this going on. You have things we've already talked about on our episodes, whether it was me with you guys, or or when Joe Boot came on my podcast, things we talked about about COVID, about the res- it's not just the it's not just America's response to COVID, it's Christians' response to other Christians who did not want to bow down to the state. Mm-hmm. That was a remarkable. I mean, that opened my eyes. I mean, I tell you, I went. I mean, I went full red pill. Basically, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> Christians are mad at other Christians for saying, no, we're going to open our church because the state doesn't have the authority to do that. That's insane. And so you're seeing all these things, or even, you know, recently with the the, the terrible massacre that happened in Israel, you, you when these colleges come out and, or whether it's certain chapters of BLM, even Christian people that are saying, okay, look, I don't like what Hamas did. I think it's terrible, but there's always the big but, you know, it's the but the moral equivalence to something else that basically shows you that they've already swallowed some of the worldview. So I'm putting all this together. I didn't even include, gosh, I didn't even include the George Floyd stuff, which I write a lot about in the book. Hmm. The George Floyd stuff, the BLM riots, the way that Big Eva supported the BLM riots and BLM, uh, excuse me, Big Eva supported in a large way church closures during COVID the fact that there's a movement of Christian socialism happening all over Western civilization, all these things to me can just be described under a rubric of utopianism. And, um, and in the book, I, sometimes I call it Christian woketopia. The Christians that have followed this utopian thing, they think they're creating heaven on earth. They call it the kingdom of God. 
but it's not the kingdom of God. So I talk in the book, the kingdom of God and utopia are not the same thing. And I think that we have a lot of Christians that actually that, that, that think it is. They think it's virtually the same thing. Well, Christians want peace. Christians want justice and Christians want unity and so does the world. So why can't we fight with them for these secular ideas? That's what Wimpy Week and Woke is all about. Right. Okay. Well, that's uh, honestly, that that's kind of Ezra's thing. So uh, quit horning in on our racket. But uh, <laughs> I am. I, I'm definitely coming into your um, coming into your territory. I'm going to teach you a bunch of new stuff today, Ryan. I, You're going to be like, "Oh my gosh, you mean Christ is Lord of everything?" Yes, that's right. I'm so pumped for that. <laughs> let's uh, let's get to it, uh, John. J- just to uh, to press further on uh, what you've said already, uh, w- I just wanted to ask, uh, sort of, where where and when. Uh, historically, uh, ideologically, in the, in the history of ideas, uh, would you locate the the origins of of this utopian thinking in the modern day West? And uh, mm. how uh, I guess how straight of a line would you draw from that kind of utopian thinking to uh, what uh, what's commonly called wokeness uh, today? Yes, maybe I'll start backwards. Maybe I will give you my definition of wokeness because. Right now, there's all these feuds online. Nobody even knows what wokeness is, or you don't even know what wokeness is. Or what all wokeness means is caring about justice, and 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 everybody's yelling, you know. Um, and I always find it really remarkable. I'm sure some of your listeners know what I mean when I say this. It's always remarkable in a bad way when I'm talking to somebody, and I say something about critical race theory, and they come back at you. And they're like. That's not even what critical race theory. You don't even know what critical race theory is. I hear that all the time. Yeah, it's the same sure. with wokeness. And what I usually find is that the people accusing me not of knowing have, have literally never read about critical race theory, but it doesn't matter. The point is, is that what, what I think wokeness is, is this. It is PC culture on steroids through a lens of neo-Marxism um, and I know this podcast, people that watch this podcast has to have to be very intelligent, much more intelligent than me. But those are big words, obviously, for for other shows. But all it is is saying, I want to have the perfect world. I want everybody to have a quality of outcomes. I don't want anybody to ever have a bad day or to have their feelings hurt. Everybody has to be treated exactly equal. And we see that through some sort of neo-Marxist utopian view. And then we force everybody to live that way. It's a very unjust, uh, childish, actually. It's very childish because it's, it's just not possible. No one could ever live this way. Um, that's what being woke is. And so you become obsessed. You become obsessed with race. And anything that happens, you could find a, a racial argument for it. You know what I mean? Like you could look at my studio right now and go, oh, John's got some wood behind him that's uh, stained different colors. You know why that is? It's because Eurocentric people came over and then they, to the, you know, whatever, to the American Indians mm-hmm. and Native peoples, and they did this and this, and then they started staining them. And they're going to have some sort of racial reason why having it is some sort of token or wink towards white supremacy or something. These people have lost their minds, right? Yeah. So. I'm not smart enough to know when this happened, but I will tell you the line that I drew in my book. In my book, it starts with Hegel, and Hegel is a German philosopher that immediately precedes Marx. And the reason I started with Hegel 
is because I was going to start with Marx. Mm. And I started mm-hmm. studying Marx a little more thoroughly so I could explain it a little bit. And b- because everywhere I look, I go, all right, this is this is Marx's world. We are living in Marx's world. He, the, the oppressor and oppressed, that explains nearly everything to me. But as I started reading it, I was really um, impacted by his idea of dialectical materialism and his idea of the dialectic. And for anybody that doesn't know, all the dialectic is, is this sort of, you, the, the simple version we hear a lot is thesis, antithesis, antithesis or antithesis, however you want to say it, and synthesis. So all it yep. is, is an idea or a con, you know, concept or whatever it may be. Then you take the opposite of that concept and then you synthesize these two ideas together to make something new. I was really kind of, I, I thought that was interesting. But I've read about it for years and never fully understood it, if I could be totally honest, because I'm a rock singer and I'm not supposed to understand dialectical materialism like I do. And so I'm studying this thing going, what a weird idea. And I'd always read that he got the idea of the dialectic from Hegel because he was a disciple of Hegel. But nobody ever talks about Hegel. And so I was like, who's this Hegel? So I decided, <laughs> this is funny. I decided I'll read a little bit of Hegel just so I understand where he's coming from. Uh, good luck. You can't read a little bit of Hegel no. and know where he comes from because no, it, it is happen. so difficult. So that took me on about a six to eight month study of Hegel. And as I started reading it, I was my mind was blown away. I started understanding what was going on. And I really realized that it's easy to say we're living in Marx's world right now, but I actually think we're living in Hegel's world more than Marx's. And the reason for that, uh, I don't want to get too into this, but Hegel's whole thing was basically synthesizing contradictions to to eventually end up into some sort of perfect oneness, like uh, some sort of perfect unity, unity of the whole. That's what he would call it. And so you're synthesizing things. He would say, hey, if you have a a thesis and then you have its opposite, which is its antithesis, he, he would say, it's not that one of those things is true and one of those things are false. They are all true. They are just on the, they are in process of becoming true. And as they're becoming true, every single aspect is a part of the truth. So nothing can be false within itself. And they are, they are evolving. They are wrestling. They are, they are, you know, um, mutating. And eventually it's going to end up into truth with a capital T and oneness and everything in the, in, in the world of ideas and everything in the, in its reflection, which is, is the earth, the material world, all of it's going to enter a perfect oneness and unity. And I said, oh my gosh, that sounds like the 2020s. That, that's what it means to me when you say something like this. Um, women are oppressed in America and the Western world because of the patriarchy. And also, there's no such thing as a woman. You can't say both of those things. They do not make sense together. Mm-hmm. You cannot say mm-hmm. that you're fighting for the rights of women and also for biological men to play sports on women's teams if they say that they are, you know, uh, trans or whatever. You can't say all of those things together. We are living in a time of synthesizing contradictory information because people do not believe there is anything such as absolute truth. So that's where I draw the line from. And to me, that goes all the way through Marx, through the 
Freud through the neo-Marxist, the critical theory folks, all the way into postmodernism, to critical race theory, to all the insane stuff we hear every single day, like just random stuff, like, like Colin Kaepernick, you know, who, who is desperately trying to get back into NFL. Mm -hmm. But he also says that being in the NFL is like being on a slave plantation. Why is he trying to get back to the slave plantation? This doesn't make any sense. (laughs) It's not supposed to make sense. You know what I mean? It's evolving. And if you're a person that believes in absolute truth, then you feel like you've lost your stinking mind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, John, you you are probably you know a bit of a uh, a bit of a rare bird in the uh, in the heavy rock world that uh, that you spend a lot of your time in. Uh, I mean, maybe you're not. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe you guys all just sit around on the monsters tour and talk about Hegel. But uh, <laughs> if you don't, uh, all that to say, you know, you uh, you you live in the West. You pay attention to what's going on in the world. But this the book is not just you bawling about discouraging headlines. Uh, what's, uh, I guess, the question in all that is, where, where, have you, where have you witnessed the wokeness? Where have you seen this uh, sort of uh, really taking root in, uh, in the circles that you're in and uh, some of its effects? I would say where I've really seen its effects the, the most, let's see, the most extreme and to, to the saddest degree by far mm. is because I'm in the rock world, but I'm also in the Christian music world <clears throat> and where it's really taken its effect. The reason I care so deeply is because of what it's doing to the church, what it's doing to Christians. And so namely in my world, it would be Christian musicians hmm. because in the 2010s, early 2010s, that's when I started going, oh, all right, wait a minute, what's happening. I'm seeing Christian musicians say these things. Now I would classify them as woke at the time. I'd never heard the word woke. And I'm saying they act like this, this Christian artist is acting like he cares about biblical justice and he's accusing people like me of not caring about justice, but what he's saying sounds wrong. Uh, and, and I don't know why it's wrong. I just know that it doesn't sound right. <laughs> so in other words, I was like your average, ordinary, normie Christian. I like the Bible. I'm not Mr. Worldview. You know, I'm not Mr. Theology. I've just gone to church and I love the Bible and I'm reading going, wait a minute, you're, you're acting like it's okay to march in this BLM thing and, and and burn down cities. And you're not, you're not bothered about that because you say that we've ignored justice too long. The burning down cities doesn't sound like justice to me, but I don't know why that's what started it for me. And that wokeness has absolutely entered into Christian music. I would say its biggest effect and where I think the biggest effect is in the church today. And I'm I'm assuming you absolutely agree with me with this, especially based on the fact that you said you guys are doing a conference on sex and gender, where this is having its biggest effect, where I think most Christian deconstruction is happening is because of sexual ethics. I I think that wokeness has so entered into the church that even Christians who are still Orthodox, I'm talking about Christians that still believe the Bible, Mm -hmm. they still go to church, they still say that Jesus is Lord, even those people, whether they admit it or not, they sort of believe that if you, um, uh, you know, have 
uh, homosexuality, thought, same same sex attraction or homosexuality or or bisexuality or if you feel trans or whatever, they kind of believe that you're sort of a victim. And the question comes down to with these people who do love God, they're just getting confused. I, I would say, brother, who are they a victim of? Hmm. You need to think deeply of that question because it sounds kind of like you're saying they're a victim of God. It's kind of what it sounds like you're saying because you've already bought in to a bunch of lies, i.e., they're born this way. People, there's nothing you can do about it. You're, you are defined by your sexual feelings or your sexual proclivities. That, that is your identity. Well, that's a lie. That's, that's not something the Bible teaches. That's something that Freud teaches. That's something that the sexual revolution teaches, which I write about in my book. That's not a Christian. That's not something we believe. But the fact that really, really good people are, have already kind of taken that in means that they are on the path to having to affirm um, to uh, uh, gay Christianity or trans identifying Christianity or whatever the terminologies are. I think you know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. They're on that path. They're on, and, and that's where I think wokeness is coming in the most into the Christian music industry. It, wokeness creates victims where the Bible does not give license to, to, to be a victim. That's what really irritates me the most. That's uh, that's a really powerful statement. I think that uh, I think that that's right on. Uh, again, uh, so th- this is your second book. A couple of years ago, you uh, you wrote uh, "Awake and Alive to Truth." Uh, this is uh, this is a se- second sort of book length publishing project. Uh, I just got to ask, uh, wh- why don't you stick to writing bangers? Uh, and I, I, you know, the the serious question is, uh, you know, obviously the the media formats between a book or a song or an album are very different. But uh, what uh, what do you do differently, or what do you what do you hope, or what do you think a book can accomplish uh, different, uh, or in addition to a a song or an album or a tour or something? Man, that is a killer question. I think I would say it like this. Maybe I'll I'll rewind even a little bit more if you don't mind. I will say it like this. I never wanted to be doing podcasting. I never wanted to be on an interview talking about biblical sexuality. I never wanted to write books. I want to write bangers, as you say. I want to play rock music. What happened is in 2013-ish, as I just stated, I'm I'm seeing Christian artists go off the de- into wrong territory. Some of those artists have fully deconstructed, meaning they mm. they fully deconverted, gone apostate. Yeah. Others of them have decon- uh, deconstructed to a point of what I would call progressive Christianity. We can have a discussion on whether that's actually true Christianity or not. I I tend to think that it's not, but some of them may be in between somewhere in between. Okay. And I still believe that there is hope for them to come back to the Lord. I honestly believe that. I think they've just gotten deceived and confused. You're right. I was praying as I started reading, I started finding out my own question, answering my own questions, reading worldview books, theology books. I was reading political philosophy. And I finally realized what was going on with postmodernism. I was saying to the Lord in my prayers, I was going, God, you have got to raise up people to speak these things. I like, we need somebody to do this. And over about a three year period, I kept having this sense that God was saying to me, like leading of the Holy spirit, like, uh, 
you're the guy. I, I'm raising you up to do that, you moron. Um, and I was like, no, nah, I know it's not me because I am a moron. I, I'm a rock singer. Why aren't you raising up people to do this? And it just kept going on and on and on until one time I was like, maybe I am supposed to do this. And I didn't feel qualified. The only reason I did it. Well, I mean, the leading of the Holy Spirit, I mean, God was, just, he just kept putting, birthing it. It was like burning in my heart. But the reason I did it is because if you've noticed in the world, so if you're going to talk about Marxism or what sexual revolution in the world, they have, they have their philosophers, their academics. All of our universities are basically just, you know, indoctrination camps for Marxism and sexual revolution. Totally. And they have all these people and all the smart people. But then they also have Hollywood celebrities, they have pop singers, they have your influencers. And I was going, those influencers are really, really powerful. Like if you're, if you're talking about a, a 14 or 15 year old girl or a college student, we noticed this uh, during the elections for the 2016 elections in America. Mm. Um, one of the, one of the biggest things that Hillary Clinton had going for her was that Katy Perry was going to college dorms, knocking on dorms and saying, you gotta, you gotta go vote for Hillary Clinton. Right. Well, yeah. there's smarter people on the left than Katy Perry, but that's powerful. And I thought, well, we don't really have that in the Christian world because Christian artists and, and people like me, we don't want to get involved in those things, you know? And I just knew that Lord said that I had to. So why am I doing it? That's the reason I'm doing it. I'm just saying, Lord, if you can use me, use me. Since then, what I hear from a lot of people is they tell me if this is true, they say, John, you're really good at taking really complex subjects and saying them in just a way that like an ordinary person can understand it. I hear that all the time. And that's probably because I'm not an academic. I failed out of college. I read a lot. I love the Bible. And I think that because I love the Bible, the Holy Spirit keeps teaching me. He keeps teaching me truth. And I understand these things. And I think I say it in a way that people can get it because I write songs for a living. And writing songs is not about writing something smart. It's about writing something people can relate to. Mm -hmm. So that's why I enjoy it. And if I can make it easy for a normal person to understand. So you stay away from this demonic stuff, then maybe God will use it. And that's why. Fantastic. That's uh well, yeah, I, th I think I said in, uh, in a previous interview on, uh, on our show that, uh, you know, I, I personally, I've been tracking with skillet for since I was a teenager and it's uh, it really is just a real encouragement to, uh, to see, you know, artists, bands at uh, at the level that you're at, boldly, faithfully uh, professing and declaring Christ in that in that space. I know that that's not uh, not an easy sort of uh, environment a lot of the time. Uh, oh, thank you so much, Ryan. Yeah, that, that that it it doesn't necessarily win you a lot of favors. <laughs> sure, yeah, no, even, I'm ready to believe that. Even in, even in the Christian world, you know, I mean, a, a lot of people love it in the Christian world, but some people are like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, I don't know if, if I would ever do that. But the the truth mm -hmm. is, um, the truth is, in the end, you know, a it doesn't matter if if, if you're mm -hmm. if you're mm -hmm. going to speak truth, 
You just got to speak truth. And that's just the way it's going to be. We're not living in 2010 anymore. Like the world has changed. And that's that. I will also say I have been greatly encouraged this year to find out there are a lot of people who agree. There's a lot of people that feel the way Ezra does, the Ezra Institute, the way that I feel, the way that a lot of people watching this right now with kids, and they don't want their kids growing up in psycho world. These people love it. And what we're finding is, is slowly but surely, we're changing minds. And I see that even with my own circle, frankly, mm-hmm. even within my own church, which I love, I love my church. But in 2020, when I was saying some of the things I was saying, it was not the case that everybody at my own church who loves me personally, they weren't blessed. Let's just say there were some people that were not sure. blessed by what I was saying at all. And uh, and now little by little, I'm, and I'm beginning to get some text messages from people going, uh, John, did you see that? Did you see that that the BLM chapter in Chicago supported the actions of Hamas yeah. against Israel? Yeah. What? Why, why would they do this? Are you shocked? And I'm like, Hey, no, I'm not shocked because they are a Marxist, anti-American, anti-Western civilization group. They were never about justice for Black people. That's never what BLM was about. BLM was about a revolution against the Christian worldview, plain and simple. And there are people raising up, and I think that that's that's a wonderful thing. It it really is uh, an encouragement. I uh, I say to a lot of people uh, will will reach out and uh, uh, to us here at, at the Ezra Institute with a, a similar kind of idea, like oh I I had no idea that anybody else but me sort of thought or saw the world this way. And then I, I come across you guys and uh, it's just, you know, it's a lot less lonely. There's, there are more of us than, uh, than any of us really realized. And uh, to be able to start kind of finding each other has been a real encouragement. So yes, agreed. hundred percent. John, tell me uh, back, back to the book, the book, uh, wimpy, weak and woke. Tell me about, the subtitle now. Tell me about the positive vision for how truth can save America, uh, which is, uh, mm. as you said, a, a synonym for Western civilization. Yes, it is. Uh, one of the things I talked about in the book, and I and I feel like I have heard someone in Ezra talk about this, and I can't remember if it was Boot, but it might have been someone else. But point is, is sometimes if I remember, yeah. If I remember Joseph Boot, I've heard him talk about uh, like a, a double decker bus, yeah. and on on yeah. and the top, yeah, the, the top bus and the, the the floor. I I borrowed this analogy, which I think his double decker bus is is sort of like Francis Schaeffer's two story building. He writes yeah. about in um, the Escape from Re- uh, is it called Escape from Reason? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. So I kind of borrowed this analogy from Francis Schaeffer, but I um. I change it a little bit. Francis Schaeffer's analogy was nature and grace, mm-hmm. but I sort of changed the analogy to heaven and earth. And this is what 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 I kind of think is happening. What I think the church has done is basically said, well, it's a little like two kingdom theology. So it's a little bit like saying Jesus is, is Lord uh, of the upstairs of this floor of heaven. Jesus is Lord of of my 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 own piety, uh, my own holiness my, my lustful thoughts or my greedy thoughts or the, the things that are sinful, 
Christ is Lord. He can teach me how to get rid of those things, how to purify my heart. And he takes care of my soul when I die. And he has the answers for those things. But he does not have the answers for the here and now. And that is the downstairs. So he does not have the answers for politics. He doesn't have the answers for how we can end abortion, how I treat my next door neighbor, for tax codes, for fill in the blank. And so because of that, I think that the church unknowingly has kind of gotten involved in, in a sort of sort of a polytheistic worldview where Christ is Lord of the upstairs, man is Lord of the downstairs. Because if you don't listen to Christ, who are you going to listen to? You got to listen to the best ideas that man has to offer. So, so what are we doing? We're bringing Marxism into the church. We need justice. We need racial justice. What do we do? Well, BLM said this, so we're bringing BLM's ideas. Well, there's some people that I just, I feel bad for them because they, they have these sexual feelings they're not allowed to act on and they're sort of victims. And who do we listen to? We listen to Freud. We bring Freud's ideas into the church. And so then you're, you're sort of worshiping two different gods. Throughout the whole book, I give what I call um, Bible binaries. And the reason I called it Bible binaries is because I'm constantly hearing about this war against binaries. Have you noticed mm. that? We got to end binary thinking. That comes from Hegel. We already talked about the synthesis. Hegel would say there are no binaries. Yeah. Everything is together. Everything is one. It's, it's, it's unity. And so I said, well, I'm going to do Bible binaries throughout the book. Bible binaries is when the Bible says you will do A or you will do B. A leads to life. B leads to death. Choose this day who you will serve. I want you mm -hmm. to choose life. Choose this day who you're going to serve. And there are Bible binaries all through the Bible. And so in every chapter, as I'm talking about Marx or Hegel or whoever I'm talking about, I'll put a Bible binary in there it's because all of a sudden it wakes you up because it's pretty easy to say what other people believed and, and, and go off on it like that's a terrible idea and blah, blah, blah. But it's not always easy to say this is why the Bible says it's, it's wrong and people they make it too confusing and it's not that confusing. So when you're talking about communism. Like the idea that the ending of private property, there's a lot of Christians now that go, well, I mean, it really is true. The New Testament church did share all things alike that before you know it, they've taken one scripture and mm -hmm. they've created some sort of Christian socialism and or Christian communism, even worse. And so I'll just insert a Bible binary. Thou shalt not steal. The yeah. presupposition of thou shalt not steal yeah. is private property, obviously, yeah. and you just have it in there and it gives you a positive vision leading up to, to the end, the last chapter, which is called, this is the kingdom. How do we live in the kingdom today? I personally believe that if the church Christians just decided to say no to the God of man, yes, to Jesus Christ being Lord over heaven and earth over both floors and radically follow the Bible. I believe that the people of God would be so abundantly blessed, so outrageously blessed. And, and we could talk about that in a, in a lot of different ways. It doesn't even have to be financially blessed. Mm -hmm. We could talk about peace in your home, you know, joy in your home, to have the only kids on the block not watching pornography at eight years old, right? Having their brains demented and divorced by the time, you know, the six months into marriage and divorced or have three baby mamas or whatever, the outcomes would be so stark because the kingdom of God is light and salt.
I truly believe it would be so drastic that the world would begin to say, what, how are they doing this? Because we're in a time of delusion. So that's sort of what I lead to for, towards the, the end of the book. It's just, it's really not anything overly complicated. It's like, are we going to follow the Bible and, and believe that Christ has something to say about the downstairs? Or are we going to follow what man says on the downstairs and just keep getting worse and worse and worse? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's a, uh... That's a powerful depiction. It's a it's a righteous vision that uh, that I do certainly share. It's just uh, it's just interesting, and I, I don't have a question in this, but just a uh, just an observation that on the one hand we don't have uh, if if we don't have a, a a vision for the kingdom of God that's that's bigger than ourselves and that influences uh, public life in all its areas. Uh, then we're not going to get anywhere. Uh, to switch, switch back to Joe Boots' analogy, one of the points that he makes with the double-decker bus is that thing is, the driver's on the lower story, uh, which is uh, uh, really kind of completes the image. Uh, so there's, uh, there's that need to think in a kingdom-minded way, but there's, there's also the acknowledgement, as you said, uh, with all of these practical ideas for guarding your own family and your own life that it's got to begin with us. It's, it's much bigger than us. Yes. It's much bigger than our, our own piety, but it's certainly not less than that. And it certainly doesn't happen without that. Oh, I totally agree, Ryan. You know, one of the things I feel really passionate about is, is just this, if not a single other soul got born again in America, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing. It's not funny. If literally not a single other person ever gave their life to Christ or ever started going to church, there are so many believers. If we actually just lived what the Bible says, I truly believe this nation would be turned upside down. Hmm. Because the truth is, is that the the difference is like you take any issue you want to take. If you want to take the issue of abortion— how many women are having abortions in the church as opposed to outside of the church? Yeah. If you want, how many people are watching pornography in the church versus outside of the church? Premarital sex. You, you go down the line of whatever issue you want. It's not really all that different. I mean, mm-hmm. it's lower, but not all that much. No, it you're... should be. It should be because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It should be so absolutely stark that that it, people would be oh my gosh this is like those it should almost be like like the Amish <laughs> like like oh yeah the Amish people they all live in those little you know like we all know what those people do it should be so starkly different but the truth is it's really not I mean they said like one out of every four women in, in the church has had an abortion right um you get pornography the rates aren't even that much different yeah. and so I think one of the things I feel really passionate about is we all say hey we want to be salt and light, but we don't really mean it, you know? And and if we did, like, here's a good example. I like talking about practical examples because sometimes people get so philosophical, they don't know what we mean. Let me just give you a practical example. And I'm not being legalistic. And if somebody says, oh, John's being legalistic and trying to tell me I'm, you, you do what's right between you and the Holy Spirit. But if I talk to one more, one more young man, I say young 40 and under, okay, mm-hmm. usually the 30 and under, one more young man 
who says, hey, John, I, I'm, I'm trying to quit pornography and, and I really am and I'm, I'm trying to do good and I've got to counsel this guy. You know what I say to them sometimes? I say, hey, let me just ask you, put pornography to the side. Let's just say that you never watch pornography. Put it to the side. What else are you watching? And yeah. if I talk to one more yeah. of those dudes who watches Game of Thrones, right. which is pornography, mm -hmm. I'm just like, what do you think you're doing to yourself? Why not just not watch Game of Thrones, you moron? You know, or 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 whatever it is. Why are you watching that? Why are you doing that? They, well, I just it's because it's on this phone. Well, then why don't you get a flip phone? Well, because I got it for my business. Well, then why don't you get a new job? The question is, is it is it worth making less money? And being free from addiction, from sin, and to please the Lord. I don't know why we're not thinking of these things, but we've got to get radical. And if we did, I believe, for one thing, I believe we'd have a lot more younger people married. Mm -hmm. We got churches. Mm -hmm. I mean, we got people in the 30s and 40s and not married. And, and I'm not bringing that in judgment. I'm saying, why not a vision for marriage? Why not a vision to be a godly husband and a godly father and, and, and mother, of course? And, and we would have all of a sudden it, it would be different in the world as the world was going through possible divorces. They would say, but wait a minute, there's this whole group of people that we work with that we live next door to. How come their marriage is so good? How yep. come their husband is so much more gentle to his wife than my husband is to me? You know what I mean? What's the deal there? How come they're not doing it? How come their kids aren't gender confused at, at 10 and 11 and 12 years old? I just think if we were to do that, I believe we would see a, I think the reason we don't see revival is because we're because of us. That's what I believe. And I know that might sound very non-Calvinistic of me, but I, I say, Hey, we want revival. We should be praying for it. My question to the church is, why don't we get ourselves holy? If we got ourselves holy and begged God for revival, I believe he'd do it because I think he wants to. No, absolutely. Now, you, you started off uh, protesting that it's, uh, you're not trying to be legalistic. And I would, just, uh, I would just say that there's nothing legalistic in what you've sort of prescribed. It's, it's just wisdom to have barriers between yourself and sin, especially sin that you know that you're tempted towards. Uh, and the, yes, yeah, I the, agree the results, that. the results of that, of taking difficult steps, deliberately cutting yourself off from some of these things, the, the results uh, could be so dramatic and so powerful. I'm uh, 100% man being free from this stuff. I know so many, I'm sure you do too. And anybody watching that is in church leadership knows it more than me because all the pastors I ask, all, all the elders and churches that I know, which I know a lot of them, I ask them about this stuff. Mm -hmm. They're like, John, you have no idea how many people are locked up in sin. He's like, it's just, it's like a, it's like a pandemic. And, uh, I know a few people whose lives, Oh Lord, were have been so ruined by I, I, not just pornography things I've never heard of before. I didn't even know it was a thing. Hmm. But I will say this, I've seen some of those families put back together by the healing work of the spirit in the most unbelievable ways as men, 
or women, typically it's men, but sometimes mm-hmm. women have come back under the Lordship of Christ. I've seen God do absolute miracles. So, so we're not being pessimistic, yeah. but let's just be real about, about what the church can be doing. We don't want to be wimpy, weak, and woke. You know, we, Amen. We, wanna, Way we, to go. we don't want that now. We want to be full of the spirit. Come on now. Praise God. Praise God. Just, uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a bit of a tangent, but, uh, I don't know if you've ever read, uh, G.K. Chesterton's Father Brown series. Uh, it's a uh, bunch of no, a bunch I of, didn't. Okay, a bunch of short stories uh, of this uh, this priest who solves mysteries. They're they're mystery stories, but the main the main character, the main detective, is a priest. And in one of them, they're sort of they're wrapping up, and he's solved some particularly gruesome murder or something. And you know the uh, the police inspector is asking him about it, and he just says, "Wow, like how how does how does a clergyman come to uh, come to know so much and understand so well like this terrible criminal mind?" And Father Brown, he just says, "I I listen to a lot of confession." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Oh, I know man. enough pastors and, and and elders that are like, "Holy moly!" Didn't even know this was a thing. Right. Oh, it just shows you, man. It just shows you when when we follow our own ideas, things get really, really bad. And and again, that's sort of the over the overarching uh, message of the book. And uh, and and just so people know, there's there's 650 quotes. Uh, footnotes in the book because I get so tired of people like that's not what they that's not what they said that's not what Mark said that's yeah. not what the critical yeah. theorists said and so I put it in there it's it's in the weeds let's just I'm admit it it's in the weeds it's a lot more academic than my first book because I want people to know how godless these people these people were godless yeah. um atheist yeah. i mean karl marx is just a god hating atheist i mean yeah, um, passionate yeah i mean these people weren't just you know in worldview sometimes we say things like uh, if you don't know christ then then you hate god you might not be conscious that you hate god but you hate his ways mm-hmm. these people consciously hated god's ways and i think that's really important because um in 2020 I saw so many pastors online sort of saying, hey, just because I don't agree with all of Karl Marx doesn't mean that all of his stuff was godless. He he really cared about poor people and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Th- right. Those things are absolutely right. false. And so I kind of go through those sayings um, because, as you said, uh, this guy listening to a lot of confession that that's what happens. Evil is bound up in the heart of a child. The Bible says that that's who we are. And we find brand new ways to sin. And we get ideas in our heads that we think this is going to lead to utopia and it's going to be amazing. And before you know it, you're slaughtering, you know, millions of people. And that's, I think what happened with Marxism with the, with various people. They, I still can't believe pastors act like there are good parts to this stuff, but it's a really horrid thing. So just to be clear, I, I explain that in the book. I think pretty thoroughly and, and pretty simply. I think. Well, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it uh, it releases next month. Uh, where can uh, where can people go to uh, to get their copy? November 14 is the release date. Uh, the only place you can pre-order it is johnlcooper.com. 
And I will tell people, if you go to the web, to the, my website, sign up on the email address. Um, we, we have a place where we're sending you a, a link where you can stream the audio recording of the first chapter. Uh, it's actually the introductory chapter, but it's kind of extensively long and explains what the book's about and why I wrote it. And you, you might be interested in that because you can hear it for free and then decide if you, um, if, if it's something that you might want or not. On November 14th, it will be available on Amazon as well, but you can pre-order it now. Um, the hardcover will not be available on Amazon. It's only available on the website. Right. Do you, do you narrate the audiobook? I do. Yeah. Okay, good. There's uh, there's one more reason to uh, to go uh, sign up and uh, and get the book pre-order. <laughs> yeah, unless that. you hate my voice. Right. <laughs> if you don't like my voice, you don't want to listen to me uh, say the whole thing. <laughs> oh, well th then do it anyway. I uh... <laughs> <laughs> do it anyway, peeps. Uh John, thanks uh, thanks so much for uh, for being on the show. It's it's always good to talk to you. I really appreciate your time and I uh, like I said, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to this book, Wimpy, Weak, and Woke, is coming out November fourteenth, and we'll put a uh, put a link to John's website down below. Really appreciate your time, brother. God bless you, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great to be with you again. Thank you.